Contract Properties is a homegrown, family-owned maintenance company located in Nashville. They provide HVAC, electrical, plumbing, painting, and many other services for commercial and residential properties. From build-outs to junk removal, one call does it all. Whether you're a homeowner or a property manager, give Contract Properties a call today for a free estimate. 615-356-0755. That's 615-356-0755. Or visit contractproperties.net. The 3HL, coming up this afternoon from 3 to 6 p.m. Now it's time for Blaine and Mickey, powered by the Tennessee Lottery on 104.5 The Zone. Blaine and Mickey, a little bit after 2 o'clock here on Wednesday Hump Day. So we're at the Hump Day portion of the show. We're halfway through the halfway through the week show. We've reached the nexus of the universe today, Blaine. Uh, <laughs> Titans, we're tight working in the bubble today. A little bit rainy, messy uh, as they prepare for the Detroit Lions. We had their beat writer on, Chris Burke. Man, he went through their injuries. I mean... <laughs> I know we don't feel sorry for the Detroit Lions. Well, I was going to ask you. I know it's not your job to feel sorry for them, but holy cow. I'm like, we better be- beat them. And watch they come out and look like just world beaters again. <laughs> like, oh, they're horrible against the run. Then they just, you know, hold Derrick Henry to 60 yards or something. I mean, it, it never come failed. On, man. It never <laughs> failed. <laughs> um, so yeah. their quarterbacks got busted ribs. Uh, their leading receiver, he said, hasn't, hasn't been on the field 45 days, all day. Now their center, Frank Ragnow, has a fractured throat. So we just put the call out and said, any of y'all ever had a fractured throat? We actually had a caller who said he fractured his throat, I would assume, playing high school football. Um, he didn't specify where. But he said he got clotheslined, and all he could do was squeak. So he said he went to the bench and laid down. He said there wasn't a lot of pain but he had to eat like he drank milk and ate mashed potatoes and he goes through all this stuff. And so Blaine being the inquisitive, you know, he's the doctor. Blaine is basically our show doctor. <laughs> and that's the show. by the way. <laughs> of course you ask him. So, uh, Hey man, Hey, hey. And he was still saying, so I ate potatoes and I, more potatoes. You're like, Hey, Hey, did you play the next week? And he goes, yeah, actually I did. Yeah. Cause that's all the coach care about. Can you play? <laughs> So here's a high school kid who played with a right. broken throat. That's uh, not making any money, and a pro player that's making millions of dollars. I, I want to say that he's going to play. <laughs> I could be wrong. And this guy's eating, and nothing has really changed besides he can't he can't talk a lot. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, hey man. So they may have a center. They just may not have. Uh, he made it sound like uh, Stafford is not going to play. I mean, it's painful, but. Hey, man, I, this guy is tough. I've seen him get up and keep playing for the Detroit Lions, a bottom feeder organization. <laughs> and he just like, wow, this guy's tough. They need to do him a favor. And actually, when they get the new gym and coach, I hate to say it, but he's the big, the best commodity they got, and they need to trade him. Seriously. I think the Bears would take him. How about they, then they got to play him twice a year, so I don't know if they'd do that. But <laughs> I bet they would take that phone call. Like, no, I don't, I don't think we're good. But they need trade to, him out. yeah, they need to trade him and trade that dude out of the division. I mean, there's got to be somebody who thinks, gosh, we're a quarterback away. Uh, and they got a late pig. Yeah. Um, he's got some years left in him for sure. 
we actually had Coach Mack on earlier this week, and I asked him, you know, you're a tough Texan. Stafford's a tough Texan. Coach Mack went all in on how tough the Lions QB is. He's always been a physically tough dude ever since he came into the league. You know, I mean, he was yeah, – he, he is – look, he was a tough dude at Highland Park High School there in Dallas. I mean, the dude's just tough. I mean, he yeah. is, and, and he's a gamer. I remember when Jim Schwartz was the head coach there. Schwartz and I were talking after his, you know, his first or second year. He said, Mac, this quarterback is physically tough. He's gifted. Arm-wise, he's got one of the strongest arms in the league. He really does, and he can throw it from any platform. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a top-tier quarterback, but uh, he's always been. He's played through a lot of – he's played through injuries during the seasons before, even during games where he's gotten racked and come out and then and then nobody thought he was coming back in and he'd come back in so if there's any way that he can play he will play yeah i believe that um i absolutely believe it here's a, a quote from uh, matthew stafford from the lions zoom earlier today which by the way that's how we talk to everybody just on zoom um he said he is not counting himself out for Sunday appears to be the beat writer. Another guy was writing about this. He said he appears to be in pain, just sitting there on the other end of the computer, talking to us. He said, he joked that he will work on his posture. He was hurting so bad. Basically he couldn't sit up straight. I mean, this is your ribs and this is a quarterback, everything you do, all the torque and trying to throw the ball, trying to follow through hunkering down to get a snap you know, reaching out to fake a handoff, anything like that, it, it hurts. I mean, it would hurt just to breathe. I can't imagine what you're trying to do when you're handling the ball and trying to distribute it on every play with busted ribs. I wouldn't be shocked if he tries it. And guess what? Why he's sitting in those Zoom calls, there's nothing there to, that's giving him a, a Tordal shot right now. So he's yeah. going to wait till that day and get the Tordal shot, and he's going to see if he can play or whatever shot they're going to give him. Because I believe that guy is going to try to play. I, I believe it wholeheartedly. I mean, we're still, we're talking about, we got four days. Yeah. But dude, a lot could happen where he can say, well, I can breathe. And every time I inhale, you know, it doesn't hurt. So I'm, I'm getting better. I said, I was at home and I was, I was throwing my kid up in the air and catching him. Oh man. I felt like, Oh, I'm good to go. I think I can go. Yeah. Ooh, these quarterbacks, man. They, I don't know, man. Hey, I don't know how Mac used to do it. I have no idea. Man, the great Mac. I, I don't know, man. And sometimes I used to be, hey, man, you don't have to play. We got Neil O'Donnell, man. What are you talking about? Yeah. We're good. We're confident with Neil O'Donnell just as much. Yep. Hey, man, take a break. Neil O'Donnell ain't going nowhere, though. He's not, he not running outside the pocket. So, <laughs> <laughs> so just, just take a break for this week, man. We got you. We know we know what you can do. Think about Neil, too. Hey, man. Rush starts closing in. Neil would throw it in the bleachers. Like, oh, that, hey, that thing was like a hot potato. That thing I, in I, and out of his hand so fast. Yep. He, he was like, hey, man, I'm going to hit you in the back of the head if you don't turn around. That, you see that thing blitzing? <laughs> they are blitzing. You're the hot read. Turn. <laughs> don't make no three steps to run a slant. Take one step and go. <laughs> Neil Donald was not trying to be like, nope. He had a cannon of an arm, so he, he, he used it. <laughs> think about what a luxury that was though that those were your two quarterbacks oh, yeah. steve mcnair and neil o'donnell i mean I, well, neil we, had went, what, we had two starters we had two starters, starters? yeah i think I neil went, got neil neil o'donnell to tell me if that was uh the receivers fault in the super bowl when he's with the steelers and he didn't run the right adjustment and he made him look bad <laughs> he will not he'd be like nah you know i said he was supposed to run a sighted just he didn't even run it hey well you know it just had it's still on my stats <laughs> that's yeah. what he'll say boy he 
he made Larry Brown a lot of money. Oh man, Larry Brown couldn't beat me in a race if his life was going on. <laughs> you remember though, he signed with the Raiders for all that money. What, what the Raiders do that knowing he's not fast? They love fast guys. Yeah, you could be not a good football player, but you got to be fast. A receiver oh, yeah. and corner. That's their yep. whole their whole stick. They, they, yep. You know, especially under the late great Davis Al Davis. So oh, yeah, that he was not. He was a technician, and he was not a speedy corner. He four five guy. That he was no four four under guy. And here's the thing. I mean, they had to have some kind of scouting department. You had to have some idea of what you were getting with that guy because it seemed like there was immediate buyer's remorse as soon as the next season started. It's like, wait a second. Oh my god. Oh boy. We yeah. shouldn't have done this. Yeah, immediately. He they yeah. almost benched him before, before he even uh, collected a signing bonus. <laughs> <laughs> what well, money? All Everybody that in your pocket like, slows you down even that, more. You know, he's a smart player and he's a good starter, but he's not <laughs> He's not that. He's not, uh, you know, Lester Hayes or, you know, Mike Haynes or, you know, uh, Rod Woodson or so. He wasn't that guy. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't that guy. Yeah. Um, uh, we're going to talk to Billy Lucci, who covers Texas A&M. They got a legit. They got a legit shot to get into this playoff. Uh, we'll talk to Billy. They got to beat the Vols first. Uh, that'll be on Saturday. Also, if you're really into signing day, you've been you've been wearing your computer out all day. But quick update: Bandy has uh, 14 people who signed on the dotted line. Tennessee 12, including the quarterback Caden Salter. He was kind of a no doubter at this point. But uh, uh, again, National Signing Day. Congrats to all the people who are signing on the dotted line and their families, everybody who was a big part of that. When we come back, textags.com. Billy Lucci. I'm Blaine and Mickey, 104.5. Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone. Let's uh, let's talk to the Vols Saturday opponent, a uh, guy who knows all about him, Billy Lucci from textags.com. Billy, how in the world are you on this busy national signing day? I'm doing good. Pretty uneventful day for AM that's a that's a good thing with the class they had. They uh they're in line to I think they're gonna fight for there's about four guys that are close to that five star range that they'll be fighting for in January and then there are a couple of big time announcements. One coming tonight uh from a defensive lineman out of the Houston area he'll be picking between A and M, Florida and Bama and then uh one for uh, offensive lineman from Houston as well, and he'll be choosing between A&M and OU. And, uh, Aggies appear to have momentum there, so that'd be big. Two, uh, a five-star on each side of the ball that they're hoping to land between now and Friday, which would really boost uh, a current class and take them, I think, from wherever they're at right now. Just those two alone would push them uh, well inside the top ten. Oh, wow. Um A&M is number five right now, as as anybody knows, who's tracking the college football playoff. Um, What's the confidence level around the program that enough things can happen that they're about to go to this Final Four? I don't – you know, Jimbo has done a great job with his team of getting them to not really – everybody's going to say the right thing. I'm I'm more about watching the team's actions. And so I don't think they're worried about can they get in. I think they'll worry about will they get in if they go and beat Tennessee Saturday. Because 
it sounds cliche and stuff, and, and you guys are up there, and you know how much talent Tennessee's got. And, and I don't think – you look at LSU, and I don't think there's a lot of difference from where LSU was at. And you saw what they did to Florida. So I, that game was probably a wake-up call for A&M if they needed it. But if you look at the Aggies this year, I watched them bounce back after getting clubbed in Tuscaloosa and come back and beat Florida the next week when everyone had written them off. Um, I watched them the next week go to Starkville and win like an early morning kickoff on the road, you know, a week after a big win. I watched them off a bye week come back and throttle a confident Arkansas team. I watched them, you know, everybody made a big deal of that LSU game saying it was bad. And now you're looking at it and you're going, look, they hadn't played a football game in three weeks the night they took the field against LSU. It was cold. It was wet. And they're up 20 to nothing with five minutes left in the third quarter. It wasn't nearly as bad as the media said. And you look at the committee and you realize they they kind of viewed it the same way, where it was actually something, you know, noteworthy that A&M did to win the game the way they did there and kind of blow them out. They just didn't do it with offense. They did it with defense. So, And, and they're undefeated on the road. So, to me, every one of those guys, you check off that this is a very mature and focused football team and if they needed any more focus that they got it while they were sitting home Saturday night watching uh, Florida you know throw their shoe and the game away down there in Gainesville we'll throw this over to Blaine Bishop as we talk to Billy Lucci from Texags.com well Billy I have to ask you uh do you know the scenario I guess for A&M to get into the top four playoff teams like what would actually have to happen who would have to lose uh, to get in. Yeah, Blaine, you know, I think it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Like there's not much, uh, there's not much in that. What if department, because uh-huh. people can talk about Iowa state sitting there one spot behind them all they want. If you look at where the committee has the sec right now, and you look and you see, you see them at, Four of the top eight, and people are complaining about Georgia, and they're complaining about Florida only dropping a spot, and they're complaining about A&M. The reality that they're not seeing is the committee has the SEC and the strength of the SEC. So when Florida only drops one spot after they lose to LSU, that tells you what, what the committee thinks of A&M's win over LSU. So they're not dropping. All it takes is if Notre Dame beat Clemson, I truly don't think they're putting a two-loss Clemson team that will not have a win of note all season over over A&M. Even if they think, hey, Clemson might beat A&M, but Clemson will not earn their way in. Notre Dame beating Clemson is honestly all it would take for a one-loss A&M team to get in. Outside of that, you have the, you know, if Northwestern were to upset Ohio State, I think the Aggies are in. The one wild card that I think took a big hit for a this past weekend would be Clemson. Yeah, he could blow Notre Dame out by four touchdowns. I think Notre Dame would fall out. But let's say a 14-point Clemson win. I think that would have been really interesting before last weekend. But Carolina blasting Miami the way they did and move, making a move up the ranking. And then that, you know, Florida losing to LSU, and that was a best win. I don't know if that would be enough for Notre Dame to fall to number five and A&M to get to number four. You might, you probably would need Clemson 
uh, to just absolutely run them off the field, which I don't think many of us are expecting. Mm-hmm. Man, well, and, uh, with Billy Lucia with TexAx.com, uh, I guess I have to ask you, uh, you know, do you think uh, the national media, and I'm really specifying like college game day and those guys, it's kind of like they always overlook or, you know, don't even really mention A&M very much. Uh, do you think there's some bias there on, on the set? Oh, you scared him to death with that question. His phone hung up. Uh oh, somebody's gonna... in control. Hey Uh-oh. man, hey Not man, that. Herbie in Nashville. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like Billy's back. Uh, Billy, I think uh, Blaine had a question for you about where the national media is seeing Texas A and M. Yeah, do they give them the kind of respect they deserve? It's almost like they always overlook them. I, thank you, Blaine. Thank you, Blaine Bishop. Thank you, guys. And I finally started to hear the other side of that last night for the first time. David Pollack brought it up. Scott Van Pelt brought it up on SportsCenter, asking Reese Davis. Uh, Desmond Howard brought it up today. So you're starting to see, I think, a little of this change where people are starting to go. They're starting to realize, just like your first question, how little it's really going to take. My complaint has never been, and that's one thing I don't think people understand, do I think the Aggies could line up four quarters with Notre Dame and, and beat them or lose to them in a close game? I think that's a toss-up football game. I've watched every game of both those teams. That game's a toss-up. Do I think A&M could be one of the four best teams in college football? Yeah. Do I think it's a birthright that they should be in there and you, you, there's no argument? Absolutely not. I don't have a problem with the number five ranking right now. My issue is, like you said, it's the lack of respect. I watch every one of these things. I listen to all the talking heads. Hell, I've I've taken it up with some of the guys on the SEC network where it's like people are bending over backwards to talk about BYU. First it was Wisconsin and Oklahoma State. They went away because they were frauds. Then it was BYU. They went away. Now it's Coastal Carolina. It's Cincinnati. I heard Reese sit there and talk about you know, basically saying that if Clemson lost, would the committee sit back and reevaluate and decide to move Cincinnati from number eight all the way ahead of A&M? And I think that is absolutely disrespectful. I think it's ridiculous. And I think it's people that aren't watching football, I, I don't believe they're watching it the right way. When you look at what A&M said, they're second in the SEC in total defense. They lead the league against the run. Or they lead the league in total defense. They're second against the run. They run the hell out of the football. They've got a senior quarterback that's 18 touchdowns and two picks. And, and they've got a, uh, probably the second best O-line and one of the three best D-lines in the conference. And, and they're built. I, I, it's not flashy. It's not. I get it. I mean, forget the fact that they've won their last five SEC games by double digits, but it's not flash like you see with Justin Fields dropping bombs for Ohio State or with Trevor Lawrence or what Alabama's doing. Uh, but I don't see Notre Dame flashy, and no one's talking about that. I watched Notre Dame beat a bunch of really bad-looking ACC teams week after week by about the same margin that A&M has beaten SEC teams. And I think, going back, the committee recognizes that, and the national media for whatever reason, does not. And to sum it up, Blaine, this is what I think the problem is, because I've thought long and hard about this. I think the deal is A&M is not a blue blood. 
you look at the four teams ahead of them and even the team they beat in Florida, who was another one that media tried. How many weeks did we hear? I think Florida's just better than A&M. I know A&M beat them. I know they outrushed them by 150 yards, and I know they they controlled the game and outscored them 24 to 10 down the stretch, but, but I think Florida's just better. Well, I think the deal is those four teams ahead and Florida, A&M's not a blue blood like they are. Not yet. I did hear Paul Feinbaum call him that today. So, again, the tide's turning a little bit. But they're not a blue blood, but they're also not a Cinderella because everyone thinks of A&M and they think SEC. They think all the money. They think Jimbo Fisher in 10 years, $75 million. So the Aggies are in this weird kind of purgatory where it almost feels like no one in the media is, is rooting for them and no one in the media is, like, giving them the benefit of the doubt like they do to some of the other power programs. So that's the tough news right now. You have to sit there and watch that every day, even as someone covered it, much less someone that went to A&M. But just for someone that watches this team and knows, that, that it, it does start to drive you a little crazy. But then the other part of it is we started this whole thing talking about that recruiting wrap-up right now. The rate they're recruiting and where this thing's trending I think after this season, people are going to start to realize that A&M's not going anywhere. Well, with that being said there, uh, Billy, is that if they are up by 20 against Tennessee, are they going to keep running that thing up to make it look good, you think? <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> you, you, you guys, it makes me nervous. Tennessee makes me nervous. I'll be honest. I've watched them. And Auburn may be nervous. And LSU may be nervous. And A&M's had to, again, they don't, they pull away more so than they blow teams away. So in, in a, I think in a perfect game for the Aggies, not perfect, but if you say, hey, A&M went and brought their A game and, and they did what they do, you would see A&M start to pull away. Um, I don't think you'd see them run away and hide from Tennessee. I'd be very surprised. I think unless Tennessee just laid down, and I don't think they will based on what I've watched, you know, the last couple weeks from him. But Jimbo, to answer your question, he took a knee against Mississippi State on the one-yard line with, with on second down. He uh, They were up 42-17 to 17 in two three-quarters against Arkansas, and they kind of took the air out of the ball. I just don't think that you would see uh, that you would see Jimbo go that route. The only way that would happen, is if the Aggies just run the ball like crazy, and then in the fourth quarter, you know those, you know how it is. Those those small holes become big holes, and those seven yard runs start to become twenty yard runs. Unless they're doing it like that, no, there, I, I see no way that uh, Jimbo would try to make it any kind of a scoreboard statement late. If they would have done that, the team they should have done it against is LSU because those dudes have not stopped running their mouth in two years since a and won that seven-overtime game. And uh, they certainly ran it up on the Aggies last year. So I think that's the one that if they were ever going to run a score up, uh, that would have been the one. Well, with Billy Lucci of uh, Tex-Ags. Okay. So where does Kellen Mond rank amongst the all-time pantheon of A&M quarterbacks? God, that's such a great question because I feel like he's one of the more underappreciated players in AM history. A lot of people wrote Kellen Mond off four years ago in his first game out of high school because he had the misfortune of 
going out into a game not expecting to play, he relieved Nick Starkle, and he was a part of the you know A&M up forty five to or forty four to ten and losing forty five forty four. And Kellen was again fresh out of high school, should have never been in the game. They had a veteran quarterback that they didn't play. Put Kellen in instead at the Rose Bowl, national TV on a Sunday night. And I feel like fans have never, some, not all, I mean, not even close to all, but some fans have never forgotten. You know, they, you, you see it happen. They kind of write somebody off without really understanding the circumstances or the, the path to improvement. And then he's had some games. You know, last year they played five top seven teams. They played four teams ranked in the top three. He didn't have an offensive line. He didn't have a running game. He didn't have playmaking receivers, and he wasn't very good. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they're blaming the quarterback. So coming into this year, I don't think people would even entertain that question. Now I think you have to. I mean, look, if he wins this game and gets them into the playoffs, or or if A&M, let's say, beats Tennessee and goes on to an Orange Bowl, wins an Orange Bowl, finishes nine and one with wins over you know Tennessee, Auburn, LSU, uh, uh, Florida, and say Miami all in the same year. Or they go to Cotton and beat Oklahoma. You got to put him in there. His body of work over four years and the numbers he's amassed, some of the company he's keeping with some of these records. And I, I don't think you would. You know, you're not going to say he's the best. Johnny Manziel's number one there. It's going to be hard for anyone to take that title from him, but. I, I think you have if they have a season that ends with a big time New Year's Six Bowl trophy, which AM hasn't won, by the way, or if they go to a playoff, the first in school history, I think you have to you have to put them in that top five. And there's some really good ones. I don't know how far back you guys go, but you got guys like Bucky Richardson, Kevin Murray, Ryan Tannehill, who's right there in Nashville with you guys. But I mean I think I think Kellen would absolutely be in that top five. I don't, I don't see how you keep them out. If you, there's at least two very important games left before his uh, legacy, you know, put the final touches on. I know Kyle Pitts gets all the ink when it comes to SEC tight ends, tight ends, but uh, Jalen Weidermeyer is, holy cow, that's another big and fast and really good target uh, at tight end and uh, has been a, a big, big addition and a big help to Kellen Mond. Well, I think he's, man, he's tremendous. I really do. I get, you know, somebody was comparing him, somebody was comparing him to, uh, to Jason Witten to me earlier in the season. And it's like, okay, well, we're talking about one of the best ever. So let's not do that yet. But you, you, I think there's, he's different. He reminds, if I'm going to compare him to one of those type guys and you're just saying, okay, we understand this is a young kid in college. We're not saying he's in the Hall of Fame. I would make more of a little more of a comparison to an Antonio Gates. Um, I just think Wademeyer is he's a sensational athlete. And he is he, he'll block at, at two sixty. He'll block you and he's been a, a tremendously improved blocker this year and that's really helped their their run game. But man, he's a wide receiver when the ball's in the air. He's a six five, two hundred and sixty pound wide receiver. His hands he understands how to use his body. I think he's as tough a cover assignment as there is at tight end in the country outside of Pitts. Like you said, Pitts is incredible. 
to me, Pitt is a wide receiver, but he's just so big. Like, Pitt is phenomenal. In any other year, Jalen Wademeyer we'd be talking about is probably first team all SEC as it is. I think he's second teamer, and I don't honestly, I don't see why he won't get some All American mention this year. You know, one of those three teams they have. But looking ahead to next year, I think he plays one more year at the college level, and then it's off to the NFL as a high round draft pick. Billy Lucci, our guest. Before we let you go, there's one more guy I wanted to ask about. Uh, Buddy Johnson is he leads A and M in tackles, and dude, I looked at the numbers; it's not even close. Like he's 30 beyond the next guy or something. Yeah, Buddy's a tackling machine, and he's just gotten better and better and better. This was the guy that when he signed with A and M, a lot of fans that the Aggies were having to fight Baylor for him down the stretch. I think he was. Looking at maybe, and I thought maybe he could get on the field quicker at Baylor. And, and there were a lot of Aggie fans that were kind of like, eh, okay, whatever. He's kind of small. He's, he plays a lot of offense. There's not a lot of tape at linebacker. He's in safety. The dude's not small. You see, you guys have watched him play. He is a prototypical SEC linebacker. Uh, he's just not 6'3. He's probably a little over six, you know, six foot, maybe just maybe 6'1. But he, he is just one of those college football players that has gotten better and better and better for four years, and now here we are. You know, and that's the same thing about this a bunch of these guys on this AMO line, where they're four seniors and one sophomore. Those seniors have just gotten better and better and better. And Buddy, Buddy's going to make his tackle, and I'm sure you know he's going to have plenty of chances with Eric Gray running behind that offensive line. But the thing to watch with Buddy is is He'll have some games, and you don't know when they're going to happen, where all of a sudden you're just like, man, this guy looks like – he goes from being a really good linebacker to how is this guy not an All-American and a projected first-round pick? And you don't know when those games or, or even, even, even those plays are going to happen, but uh, he's had some moments and some games like that where you watch him and you go, gosh, this guy's upside is, is unlimited, so – who knows what we'll see from him Saturday? Uh, again, I think if you put if you put Tennessee in some third down situations, that's where a guy like Buddy really shines. You go back to that background as a safety, as a high school quarterback, running back, wide receiver. You saw him with the pick six against LSU. He can really get after the quarterback. So, to me, we're, we're the Aggie linebackers. They're good and they're solid. Uh, most of that run stuffing stuff, though, comes from their front four. They're really dominant, you know, in the trenches there. But when where Hansford and Buddy Johnson really start to make plays, and even number thirty-two, Andre White, is when it gets into that third and obvious passing down situations because they're very good at chasing the quarterback. They time blitzes really well. They're really aggressive, and they also excel in coverage. Billy, great stuff, man. Uh, people who want to follow you, keep up with all things uh, Texas A&M, texags.com will get it done. Thank you again, buddy. Appreciate all it, right, brother. guys. Appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend. Yes, yeah, sir. You, you too. Well, Blaine, you asked a question. I, I think Jimbo, I think you trying to make a last impression. I think he's going to try to score as much as he can on Saturday. I don't think they'll be laying down on anything. I think they will try to score a lot of points. Yeah, I do too. Just because it has to, you know, it has to look that way because they've been getting disrespected 
by you know the, the playoff uh, and the ranking. So yeah, yeah, it's sorry, but yeah, I'm gonna keep rolling. Now he may have backups out there, but he's gonna be still playing as though he's went trying to win the game. He's not gonna just hand off left or right if he's up by a significant amount. If that happens, I, yeah, I think yeah. he will. And I think he's that type of guy too. You know, I think Jimbo's that kind of guy, but he's respectful. But hey, man, we, we got to do this. Sorry about that. <laughs> we got to do this. Be like, yeah, I'm gonna be sorry about that next year when we play y'all. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, what did Big Jeff say about this Titans defense possibly improving with communication and more? Big Jeff coming up on Blaine and Mickey on 104.5. Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone. Y'all got all your Christmas shopping done yet? JT probably does. JT probably finishes Christmas shopping in July. You know how I've taken a couple of days off? I don't just absolutely love working with you two clowns, but I would much rather be here than having to run errands for my wife every single day, going to every single store, returning stuff. So awesome. Hey, man, I'm right there with you on that, man. Well, at least she's with you. I, I, you know, or, you know kind of, my wife not even with me. So I just wait till like 8 o'clock at night, and then with a mask on, nobody knows who I am. So I, I, in and out, man, in and out. It's like, yes, I went during the daytime. I was like, what is this madness? Oh, my gosh, I got to go. I got to go. <laughs> I can't do it, man. Wait till it gets dark outside. People don't want to go anywhere. Um, we'll certainly keep an eye out on this. Uh, I know that it's uh, National Signing Day again. Uh, last check, I checked again. 12 commitments for the Vols. 12 guys have signed, sent in, including Caton Salter, the quarterback. Bandy with 14 uh, expecting to have 21 or 22 before it's all said and done. Well, I'm getting 8 million junk phone calls on my cell phone right now as we do this final segment of the show. Spam. Um, <laughs> spam. But there's but there's a story out of Detroit that the center, Frank, this is three times now I've hung up on them since we started this segment. Um, and it's not the number, so I can't block it. Um, all right, back to it. Frank Ragnow, who's the line center, has a broken throat. Uh, we're going to be watching. We're going to be watching this. That That was a new one. For me, uh, the the quarterback, the and, and you pretty much when it comes to football injuries, we can start talking about it. And if you haven't have it or had it, or blamed, know somebody had it, then you know somebody who had it. You can go, oh gosh, I played with a guy like that at Ball yeah, State, I, or that you're right, or that happened. No, I used to go up to him in the training room, like, hey man, what's wrong with you, man? What happened? And then they explained to me, and I'm like, oh dang, man, who I got to make sure I go do my yoga poses so I won't get stuck in that position. <laughs> well, uh, the quarterback of the Lions has also beaten up Matthew Stafford. Our guy Buck Rising was talking to Big Jeff on the Titans Zoom call earlier today, and Big Jeff got to talking about this defense and how it might be improving this time of year. Yeah, Jeffrey, you guys uh, seemingly have made some strides as coming together as a defense. What, what do you uh, attribute that to so far, and, and how do you guys think that you've done over the course of these you know, now 14 weeks? I think the main thing um, we improve um, is the communication, uh, and that's something we still have to keep building on, especially after um, the last couple of weeks. How can we get better just um, each week on, on communication? And then I think it's just everybody playing for, for each other. Um, I think everyone who, especially the 11 guys on the field, you know, they're playing for the, the uh, their brother next to them, and it's just like everything just falling in place. And it's like once you play for that guy, you're not being selfish. You know, um, good things happen to the def- uh, with the uh, team and the defense. So I think that's the main thing, Communi- communication and everybody playing for each other. 
And and with that communication, has there been any point in the season where you guys maybe maybe talk to coaches about simplifying things to try and improve that communication, allow you to, to play a little faster without having to, to maybe think as much or process as much as there been anything like that? I think, I think that's, that's not something uh, we did personally, but I, um, that's something that the coaches probably felt the need to do, or if it is something they need to do, I think that they'll take that next step in doing that. But like I said, no matter what it is, we get the game plan. You know, like Brave always um, said, um, just think back when Desmond first got here, you know, how the communication kind of picked up a little better then because we had a new guy on the field. And, uh, you know, he jokes about it, but it's true, you know, act like it's a new guy on the field every um, every down, every play, whatever it may be. And, you know, I think that we're just taking that next step into that approach. Like he when, like I said, when Desmond first got here, how they uh, communicated with him, uh, especially the guy like KB you know, on the back end. So, I mean, things like that, you know, and it's just not the back end who have to communicate. It's us, us up front, you know, especially when we run in games or whatever it may be. So, I mean, it's, I don't think it's just more of, a, you know, just trying to go to the coaches and simplify things. It's just how can we, whatever the game plan may be, you know, try to communicate it a little more so we can get the game plan, you know, even if it's, you know, a little complicated. If we communicate it, all we can practice, and, you know, maybe just a um, tap easier in the game, so. Blaine, it's interesting because he brought up something that you and I have talked about a lot with this team. You got to get De- King. You got to get him involved, acclimated on defense. And another cornerback gets hurt. Then another cornerback gets hurt. He even mentioned Kevin Byard on the back end and what he's got to help do with the secondary guys. And Big Jeff didn't make any excuses, but it was interesting. He brought up continuing to work in new faces into this defense as part of that communication structure. Yeah, that's always difficult, uh, uh, but. Uh... You know, it's, it's funny. I, I just never talked about, you know, in interviews after games and practice throughout the whole week talking about communication. That yep. That's something you're supposed to do on your own as uh, leaders of the team and making sure everybody's on the same page without the coaches actually telling you because you got to bring up certain scenarios that's not may, may not happen in practice. Uh, so those things should be happening uh, without the coaches uh, pushing, you know, he's talking about they've done a better job. I mean, the Cleveland Browns was just two weeks ago, the last couple of weeks, uh, that ain't wasn't a good job. I mean, Baker Mayfield was running around or, you know, just back there baking a pancake. Uh, Jaguars, uh, not, you know, they barely got pressure on them, but they, they didn't play. They had great coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's get it working on all levels. At the same time, uh, we got Detroit Lions. We'll see what happens here. But uh, I'm just interested in this is my point about the defense. Are they good when we play our lesser opponent? But when we play legitimate opponents, how do they stack up? So were we a product of the team that we were playing, the Jaguars, and you played better? But when we played a good team like the Browns, not so much on defense. So I'm interested to see, uh, maybe not even this week, but the next week when we play Green Bay Packers. When yep. you're playing an elite quarterback, what happens? Good to great quarterback, how do you do? When you play an under-average quarterback, you look pretty good, even without pressure. So uh, that, to me, is always a product of who you're playing. No doubt. We'll keep this discussion going the rest of the week. But right now, we turn it over, signing day and more. 3HL is next on 104.5 The Zone. Have a good night, everybody. Congratulations!